0: Okay, welcome. Today's podcast, episode number 13, Four Skills Best Bosses Have Mastered. So today, we're going to go into depth about best bosses and worst bosses. I'm going to share with you important research that's going to tell you exactly, and yes, I mean exactly, what you need to do as a leader so that you can improve revenue, increase customer service, drive productivity up, and reduce turnover. So we're going to go into some depth around some research that has real-life world implications in your business. I'm going to share with you excerpts from interviews that I did with three different people about their best and worst bosses, and I'm going to share with you four important skills that you are going to want to have mastered. We see them in all best bosses. We'll go into detail around those skills and give you some good examples and some tips and some resources. So let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susan Price. So,
0: welcome, episode thirteen. Four skills that best bosses have mastered. My name is Susie Price, and I'm your host for this podcast, the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, where we help leaders, trainers, and consultants build the energy, commitment, and communication in their organizations. The show notes for this podcast are can be found at pricelessprofessional.com/slash. Four skills, and that's spelled out F-O-U-R skills, S-K-I-L-L-S. I am a professional consultant and facilitator and author, and I have been in my business, Priceless Professional Development, for 12 years now. This is my 12th year, and I am passionate about these topics, about helping you build a wake-up eager workforce and sharing the skills and tools and resources that I share with clients and things that I'm learning. I'm always learning and what I want to do is give you practical tools that you can use immediately to make a difference. And one of those things that's always interest me as someone who's always learning is I've always wanted to figure out what makes a great leader. My very, very first job out of college was with NCR Corporation. We had 1,200 employees and I was very, very entry level. In fact, if I look back today, I don't know how I landed in that role, even though it was an entry level, it was an influential role because I was close up with the general manager, the guy who ran the company there with the 1,200 employees. And I got to interact with all levels of leadership at a very young age. It was very interesting to me as someone who is a learner to see all the different kinds of leadership and say, okay, that works. Oh, that doesn't work. And I took all that information as I moved on in my career, went to be a leader of different teams at companies like State Farm, Oracle Corporation, at Wright Management, all of those places where I was a leader or facilitator or were in charge of having to help other people take action in many different ways uh, and that information that I learned at NCR in my first entry level role and uh, watching other leaders was very, was instrumental. And then I've learned so much more now in my last 12 years as a consultant facilitator because I get to step into all kinds of companies. I've, over the last 12 years, worked with 60 different companies at least. So you get to see different types of leadership. You get to see what works, what doesn't work. I've had the opportunity to coach and, and learn more intimately about leaders. I've taught material uh, that is all about leadership. And so what does make a great leader? What are those skills? What are those things that you have to do to be a great leader? And there's all kinds of books and information about it, but let's just start with what we know. Think about the people. Let's think about what you know. Think about the people who have led you. Uh, people that you've worked with, anyone from the people who were your sports coach or your music teacher when you were in high school, those were leaders, right? They led you as a student and a, a young person, and uh, sometimes we're not easily led at that <laughs> Stage, right? So they had to have some skills that you could learn from. And then think about all the way up to all the different people that you worked for in your career, all the way up to your boss today. And out of all of those people, who were the leaders that were your best leaders? Who are the people that you learned something from, that you liked working for, who brought out the best in you? So as I started today, I mentioned that I had interviewed a couple of folks, three different people, in fact, about their best and worst bosses. And I want to share with you a clip right now from Beth Zullo, Z-U-L-L-O. She is a senior leading senior learning and development specialist at Georgia Gwinnett College. And we had an interesting conversation she shared about her best boss. Let's listen to what she has to say.
2: Okay. He was fair to everyone. Um, I mean, if you were doing something wrong, he would let you know. He was all about the organization. He was about the big picture. Now, when I first met him, um, he told me, you know, I, I was working at a pace or trying to get things done, but we were always waiting on other people, kind of frustrating. And he said, I don't, I'll never forget. He said, Beth, slow down. They they don't work like that here at higher ed. So that was new coming from K through 12. And he taught me a lot about higher ed. He taught me a lot about everything, period. Um, He was always calm, tempered. Um, He was always, um, he cared about everyone on his team, Um,
0: professional development, uh, as a person. So now it's your turn. Think about how you would describe your best boss. Think about the things that he or she did. If you were telling me right now in a conversation what this boss did, like Beth did with me, What would you say that that they did that caused you to respect them and to put them in that list of your best boss? So make a mental list since we can't talk right now. And if you want, you can even pause and write down that list because there are some indicators. And later on, when I share the four skills that I believe every leader must master my guess is that you're going to see a lot of your favorite leader within those skills. So if you want to pause this right now, make a list of everything you you, that you can recall about that leader that you liked working for. Okay. What we're going to do now is we're going to go in another direction and I'm going to share a clip from my conversation with Kelly Vandiver. She is a consultant and a teacher and a wonderful person. She is the owner of Speaking Practically. She helps people give better presentations, and she helps leaders understand how to give their employees permission to speak. Let's hear Kelly talk about her worst boss.
3: Okay, Kelly, I asked you here because, one, I like your company, but two, I knew you would have (laughs) some good insights to share about, we're talking about the skills of a great leader and one way to understand the skills of a great leader we never learn more uh than what we learn from our worst leaders <laughs> so i'm going to ask you two <laughs> questions the first one's going to be who's your who's the worst leader you ever had we don't want the person's name but what i want you to do is think back through all the years of your working life could be from your teenage years to today and then be thinking about all the leaders and managers you worked for, and there's probably somebody that comes to mind that you think, oh, I'd never want to work with him or her again. And so, again, not sharing any names, love for you to share examples of what this person did, you know, that made made him or her hard to work for, and maybe you would give them the designation of, okay, that's my worst boss. What would you think?
4: My worst boss, the person that comes to mind immediately when he asked that question, uh, was a woman I worked for uh, at my third duty station in the Navy, and Mm -hmm. I I don't remember a lot of examples. I just remember the example that gave her that designation. Um, We were having a conversation about something, I don't remember what, and we didn't agree on whatever it was and i was making my point and trying to explain why i thought something needed to go whatever whatever way it was and she stopped me and she said this conversation is over and i never had somebody treat me like that ever and she and after that i lost all respect for her She had no respect for me. How could I respect her? She was definitely my worst boss.
0: So who was your worst boss? How would you describe that person? What I want you to do is make another list mentally or in writing of everything that you can recall about that leader. Who came to mind as Kelly was speaking about someone you, you did not enjoy working with? So now, if you've thought, uh, listened along, you now have two lists, either mentally or in writing. And, of, of a best boss and a worst boss for you personally. And what I find interesting is I'll often ask these questions in leadership training classes and it never fails. I hear similar characteristics. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to. It could be people who run a steel mill that are in the supervisory level, or it could be high level sales executives who are managing a medical technology company. What you hear when people recall their best and worst l- bosses are often very similar So what I see often on the good boss list is similar to some things that Beth shared, that the person was a good listener, they were fair, knowledgeable, they knew your job, you respected them, they could be tough, but they could also be kind and supportive, and that they were a good communicator. Do some of those descriptions match the things that you thought about or wrote down about your best boss? Think about this. On Sunday night, when you work for this best boss, this person, and you were getting ready to start work. How did you feel as you were preparing to go to work for that boss the next day? When you had a boss that listened and was fair and and uh, you liked working for this person, what kind of work did you do as an employee? Did you give more? Probably. Were you more effective as a result of this boss? Were you more excited about being there? I would guess for most people the answer is yes, that the person influenced you in a good way. And when we look at the worst boss, what's interesting about the worst boss, when I ask people to describe their list in, in say, a training session or even in the interview like I did with Kelly, it could have been 20 years ago that the person worked for the their worst boss, but they still remember it very clearly. I know I do when I think about that boss that I did not enjoy working for. Uh, We remember very clearly how they made us feel. We might not remember a lot of the details, but we remember how we felt. And I love that quote. I often use it. And many of you have probably seen it from other people as well. I may forget what you said, but I will never forget how you made me feel. And and that quote carries true here when we're talking about our worship leaders. We remember how we felt and they negatively impacted our performance, our team, and we just never forget about it. And if you think about what Kelly Vandiver shared in her clip, if you listen closely, now I know Kelly pretty well, so you may or may not have been able to hear it. But I could hear intensity about her as she was talking about her worst boss. She even said, I had never been treated that way. So instinctively, we know it is It is wrong to be treated in the way that our worst bosses treat us. So some of the things that they, that we share about our worst bosses, uh, include things like they never listened. They were unfair. They played favorites. They were arbitrary. I never knew which way they were going. They were a dictator. They were too easy. They were cruel. They were inconsistent. They were weak. They weren't honest. Those are some of the themes that we often hear and, and we remember those things with a vengeance because they did not they were not right, and we did not um and don't forget how they make us feel, so it really impacts us when we have a worse boss. so when you if I go back and you think about how you felt when you worked for the worst boss, it's the same question. So it's Sunday night and you're getting ready to start a new work week. How'd you feel going to work for this person? Chances are good you're going to say, "Well, it was frustrating. I dreaded it, and I wanted to quit. I didn't give my best." So if you think about this. And you think about the opinions and feelings about past and present bosses, the ones we liked, we remember fondly, and uh, we didn't forget how they made us feel. Same thing on the bad boss side, except we don't remember them fondly, but we still have not forgotten how they made us feel. And if you're leading people, realize that people are saying, thinking, and feeling similarly about you. You may be the best boss. You may be the worst boss. Or more than likely we're somewhere in between, but you are impacting others by how you interact, how you lead and how you communicate. And I think sometimes we, we might forget. How we're acting strongly impacts the people around us and their performance. So what I want to do today in this podcast is make sure you're doing things that you can do consciously so that you can lean more towards being the person who's remembered as the best boss. You're the person who positively impacts performance. And there are actual behaviors and actions and skills you can master to be considered the best boss. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, You know, the best boss isn't always Someone who was easy on you, but they were the person who helped you be most effective in your job. And I know that that's the kind of boss you want to be. I want to be that we all aspire to be, and we might not always reach, reach our um, expectations. So I'm hoping that these skills that we talk about today and the clips that we're going to share are really going to bring that home for you and allow you to re-energize your focus on being a leader and re-remember how important your impact and influence is on your team. So we really want to fully realize that, that you do as a leader, your behavior impacts other people's performance and impacts their lives. And so, you know, as soon as you walk in the office, you step off the elevator or you walk onto the shoproom floor, people are looking at you. Now, if you've been a leader for a while, you either are very used to this and you know it, or you've kind of forgotten about it because you're so busy in the details and the doing that we all end up doing as we're a leader and a doer, as most managers are today. But as you enter, your employees are looking at you, and they're looking at your demeanor, they're looking at your attitude, they're they're sizing up your energy and your vibe, and however you are being is influencing the performance of folks, and you have a big, big, big influence on that. Now, what I want to do, just to demonstrate that, is play another clip with Kelly Vandiver. Here, she's talking about the impact her worst boss had on her and her team, and it's very interesting, and it's probably something you can relate to if you also had a bad boss.
3: You lost all respect for her how did it impact your performance with her or your uh sense of working for her?
4: She was on her way out of the organization and I just bided my time. I, I, yeah, I didn't go above or beyond. I never worked hard to help her. I just had no commitment to her at all and I'm a engaged, enthusiastic employee wherever I'm at. I just am. I've had all kinds of bosses over the years. Most of them really good. But after that, I just shut down. There was, there was, you know, I did what I, what was required of me, but, um, I just was waiting for her to leave. I just could not, it could not come soon enough.
3: And I'm imagining that that statement was is the thing you remember the most, but if she would be willing to say that, then there are probably many other little things that happened leading up to that moment that you didn't like or didn't enjoy um yeah, having I mean, her she as a manager.
4: Look, she couldn't look you in the eye and say the reason why she was making a decision in a particular way. Or That Even that she heard you, that she acknowledged but disagreed with your opinion and so was going to do something different. She just didn't have that kind of um, honesty, that kind of um, integrity to really um, care that we needed to understand or that we wanted to understand um, and that we wanted to be heard.
3: Mm. Want to be heard. I think that is a human need, and it's absolutely a must on a team.
4: Absolutely. And I guess maybe that's why I'm so passionate about (laughs) the things I'm doing with helping leaders figure out how they can give their people permission to speak, how they can overcome some of that hesitation that people have about speaking up because of the fear or because of of whatever. Um, I I think it's so important. The innovation comes from people being willing to step up. Innovation, better customer processes, better results, better profits, that all comes from caring about people and connecting with them and and letting them know that they matter and that you want to hear what they have to say.
3: And it sounds like with this boss, her behaviors and and the way she treated everybody, people were feeling like okay, you don't really care what we think or feel, so we're not going to give it to you. Yeah.
4: Exactly, exactly.
3: And I'm assuming that impacted everybody on the team. Oh, yeah.
4: Nobody liked working for her. Nobody (laughs) liked working (laughs) for her? No, no, nobody liked working for her.
3: And how big of a team was it? Do you remember? Um, Just a
4: guess. yeah. It was about probably eight people or so, Uh, but we were in charge of, um, we, the, the team, it was a staff and we were responsible for working with people in the field. Um, and so while there was only eight people in our team, there was another 120 people uh, that we worked with outside of uh, this particular command to help them with, with their things. So it had a much broader impact than just the, the eight people that were in the office or just that, that part of the organization.
3: Right. That makes sense. So she didn't give you what you need, and it's a little bit harder to give all the people who are looking at you what they need.
4: Well, especially if she's not going to listen to you <laughs> when you're yeah. trying to give her feedback about things that they need
3: yeah, um, or yeah.
4: why going, a particular approach is not the most effective to help them meet their numbers. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Great story. And it really is one of the skills that we talk about is is, uh, lead by inviting participation, listening aggressively. I mean, that's the second skill. The other one is cultivating a positive sense of self and others. So those behaviors, none of those behaviors gave you any of that. Yeah, she got none of that. (laughs) She didn't get credit for those things at -uh, all. -uh.
4: (laughs) She did not take any training from Susie Price, that's for sure. Uh, Or from (laughs) Kelly Vandiver. (laughs)
0: She needed us. Kelly's worst boss, her behavior, negatively impacted the team's performance. That team, as Kelly describes it, did what was required, but that was it. And I think her story in that example is a powerful example of negative influence on performance by a leader. And there's also a powerful study that backs up what I want to make sure you know about, and it's research by the Gallup organization. I started out this podcast saying I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do in order to increase revenue and reduce turnover and increase productivity. Well, it's through this Gallup research. Gallup studied millions of leaders, and they were able to scientifically and statistically prove that if employees have great leadership, important bottom line numbers are improved and become higher and better. So in Gallup's study, they noticed that effective leaders... And we're going to go into what exactly makes up an effective leader. But they studied effective leaders and they did study 25 person teams and they went and looked at the business results of each 25 person team of the effective leaders and the ineffective leaders. And they just determined that effective leaders increase profitability through higher monthly revenues and the minimum based on these 25-person teams, and these were millions of people that they interviewed, and, and I think over 300 teams all across the world, um, they increased revenues by 80 an average of $80,000 a month. They improved customer loyalty, so they had higher numbers there. They had less turnover, and there was a big increase in productivity when you had an effective leader, leader. So Gallup was the first organization to scientifically prove what our anecdotal research tells us through, hey, here's how my best boss impacted me and whether I wanted to go to work on Monday morning, and here's how the worst boss impacted me. So we know by experience that leaders impact our performance, but this research actually lays it out for us so it's very clear. And there's a book I recommend. It's called First Break All the Rules and what great managers do differently. And the research from Gallup is in that book. It was written by Marcus Buckingham, who at the time he wrote the book was part of the Gallup organization. And it's one of my favorite go-to leadership books. And I use it as recommended reading when I'm teaching. And in the show notes, which is at pricelessprofessional.com slash four skills, F-O-U-R skills, all lowercase, one word, you'll see a link to that book uh, first Break All the Rules, What Great Managers Do Differently. So you can look at that, and see if you want to get that book, if you want to know more about this research. But Gallup did more than just prove the correlation between effective leaders and the positive impact of the bottom line. They called out of all the interviews that they did, what it was these leaders were doing that led to effective a performance. And the way they did it was cr- was to create 12 questions that employees must answer positively if they're going to have this type of improvement with productivity and revenue. So very, very simple. They laid it out and said, out of all the things that are important to employees so that they become fully engaged and committed in the work and so you can increase and improve the bottom line, it's these 12 statements that you want employees to answer positively. Now, I'm going to have a list of these statements in the show notes. Again, it's pricelessprofessional.com slash four skills spelled out, and you'll be able to quickly review these and look at them and go back to them. But basically, there's 12 questions, and there's four kind of employee viewpoints or categories based on the questions. So the first kind of viewpoint is the employees asking and thinking, okay, what do I get? And the two statements out of the 12 that apply to helping an employee get on board and be engaged is, one, do I know what is expected from me from the work or expected of me from work? And two, do I have the materials and equipment I need to do my work and to do it well? OK, so that's the first two questions. Then the next four questions are in the, the employee mindset category of now they've gone from what do I get to what do I give? And so this is just makes so much sense. Think about how this applies to you. When you start out, you want to know, okay, what am I going to get? Do I have do I know what I need to do and do I have what I need to do to do my job right? So the next thing is, okay, once those things are in place, we're thinking as human beings and who want to be productive and want to be a part of something. What do I give? And so the next four statements are number three at work. Do I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day? So much of the work I do is around this, is helping people be able to name and claim their strengths so they can use them more effectively. Number four, in the last seven days, have I received recognition or praise for doing good work? Number five, does my supervisor or someone at work seem to care about me as a person? And number six, is there someone at work who encourages my development? The next employee mindset category for the next four questions in these 12 questions is, do I belong here? So we want to know, do I belong? Am I a part of this community? Do I fit in? And here's how we determine that based on the Gallup research. Number seven, at work, do my opinions seem to count? Number eight, does the mission and purpose of my company make me feel important? Number nine, are my coworkers committed to doing quality work? And number 10, do I have a best friend at work? Last category and the last two questions. So the last category is once I've figured out when I'm thinking about, okay, what do I get? what do I give? Do I belong? The next kind of main category for engagement and and wanting to, to go to work on Monday morning is how can we all grow? And those last two questions from Gallup is, in the last six months, has someone at work talked to me about my progress? And number 12, this last year, if I had opportunities to work, to learn, and grow. So those are 12 questions and four employee mindset checkpoints that we want to pay attention to and they do guide you. I often recommend that organizations do opinion surveys around this. I do them for organizations and you can use something as simple as these 12 questions and then do it on a regular basis to keep checking in, okay, how are we doing in these areas? Where do we need to improve? And continually up-level the level of improvement by paying attention to these questions. And why I share this is, one, it's just such powerful research that does not need to be forgotten and is a baseline that you continually go back to, but it also gets us to the four skills that I want to talk to you about. And these are the four skills that we're going to address the rest of this podcast about, and it's four skills that help lead address employees' needs, and they help leaders. If you master these four skills, they're going to help you do a really good job of getting almost every one of these statements with a positive uh, answer of, yes, that is happening for me, which is then going to lead to more engagement and better revenue and a lot better things happening within your organization. So there are four skills. So let's go into that now. I like these four skills. I like that there's just four And I have, they just make sense. That's one thing I really like about them. They're really practical. So they're things you can begin doing right away. And they can serve as a guide so that you can be more effective with people. And in my observation, I have seen them in every best leader. And when someone's a worse leader, they're missing one of these four. So they're foundational skills that you use in every dialogue. If you're talking about discipline with an employee or you're setting goals or if you're coaching someone, Whatever you're doing, giving a presentation, you're in a team meeting, these four skills go with you. They're universal. They're foundational. They're a baseline for all levels of leadership. Whether you're the CEO or you're the supervisor, they all play a part in powerful leadership. So they're a part of every interaction. And what's interesting about these skills is you're never done with them because there's always an opportunity for you to build and build them and make them stronger, so it's a never-ending growth process in the best kind of way, but the cool thing is is there's four of them, so they're easy to focus on, and I think once you hear about them and you start looking for them, you're going to do like I do and see them everywhere you go, either missing or present, so here are the four skills, as many of you who know me know that I like acronyms, so I've got an acronym for you. It's C-A-L-L, CALL. The first skill is for the C, it's to cultivate a positive sense of self in others. Second skill, A, address problems quickly by focusing on behaviors and facts. Third skill, lead by inviting input and participation. Fourth skill, listening aggressively. So these are skills, and we're going to go into each one in more depth and share some examples from some of my conversations I have with the three people I interviewed about best and worst bosses. But they are going to help you help people rise to their potential and, and rise to a higher level of performance. So you're going to be that kind of leader who influences people to that. It helps you be more direct and specific around problems. It helps you get in the habit of getting people involved in decisions so they're more committed to decisions. And it's going to help you make better decisions. And one of the most important ones is the listening aggressively. So it's very rare. You're going to be one of those very rare leaders out there when you get really good at this, or maybe you already are one of those people, but you're somebody who listens, who really listens to people. And when you master this skill, listening aggressively, People are going to talk about you with wonder and awe, and they will follow you, and they will stay with you. So these are very powerful skills um, that are you can manage them, you can master them, and you can always grow them. So let's go into more detail about each one. The first, the C, the first C, cultivate a positive sense of self in others. Now, the definition is the ability to sustain or build confidence in others. And here we're going to hear again from Kelly Vandiver from Speaking Practically about her best boss and how her best boss did this, to cultivate
4: a positive sense
0: of self in others. Let's listen to Kelly.
4: Probably my best boss uh, was a woman named Barbara, and uh, what I loved about Barbara was that she, she really listened. She really paid attention. Um, and she believed in me. She, there were times where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off, but she, uh, she encouraged me. She believed in me. Um, she, and she was willing to say it out loud. She was willing to put it in writing and performance reviews. Uh, She was willing to say it in front of my uh, peers and colleagues she just was um, a, a fabulous woman. She, um, uh, was smart, smart as a whip and, uh, really understood our business and really understood what it took to be successful, um, and doing what we needed to do. But she also uh, cared about the, the competence and she cared about the uh, ability, not just competence and abilities, but the, the people that were involved too. And, mm-hmm. um, doing the things that keep people motivated, not just for the sake of that, but because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about manipulation. It wasn't about, um, you know, she's got to meet her numbers. It was about we, we can have good relationships with employees and get good work. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was just, she was just fabulous. Just, great to work with.
0: So Kelly shared, she believed in me. She said it out loud. She demonstrated that she cared about people because it was the right thing to do. So that's someone who's very good at cultivating a positive sense of self in others. So what is a sense of self? A sense of self is a measure of a person's awareness of who they are. It is a person's ability to discern their own self-worth. So you're going to get really good at helping cultivate that in others. Now, people are responsible for their own sense of self. And we make our own choices. We all have different backgrounds, some better than others in regard to whether that was cultivated for us when we were younger. But as someone's leader, you can positively influence how well they see or believe in their ability to do something by your expression of their value. So you can influence that. And that's what we want to focus on. So I've got another clip and it is from Beth Zulo again and she talks about something her best boss did when she started a new job. So this was interesting because we have, when people start new jobs, there's a high degree of turnover. People don't often, they usually wash out 50% or so. I don't think it's a totally accurate statistic, but they wash out in the first 18 months. And a lot of times it's onboarding and it's, you know, not getting enough guidance and direction. And I want you to hear what he did with her that helped her stay so committed to him and the things he said to her that helped her as a new hire? I'll
2: never forget. He gave me a list of things
0: he wanted me to accomplish
2: within my first couple weeks, and one of them was to reach out to each vice president and go meet with them. There were seven, I think, six or seven. Um, Go meet with them individually and see how they see professional development in the future. And That I was nervous, Um, but yet it was fun because he wasn't there. He didn't have to be present. He, he trusts. I mean, not that he trusted me yet. Trust had to be built with him, but um, he let me do my thing. He, and then I would come report back to him probably too much in the beginning because I was (laughs) one time he said I was high maintenance but in a good way Um, So (laughs) I I would because I didn't know how you know that was the first time I had been in an office for 10 years so yeah um, he said when you need to meet with me meet with me but that really was impressive that he gave me that task and he I thought he trusted me enough for my first day to reach out to the vice presidents and just go ask a simple question and gather the data And then report back to him. Um, And then, oh, this is where I was getting. He said to me, he goes, Beth, just think of me as your safety net. You do what you need to do. Uh And if you have questions, you can come to me. But think of me as your safety net. So if I made an error, I mean, that gave me um, the confidence that I needed to go ahead and do what I needed to do or wanted to
3: do. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, go, but I'm not going to leave you out on your own. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what a neat task. I was actually working with somebody recently just doing a thing about new, new hire orientation because people flame out quickly. Often new hires do. There's a high percentage that don't make it. And the fact that he gave you specific things to do and that one of yeah. them was to go meet everybody, what a way to, to and with a specific task, to start to feel inclusive and to get a handle on what's going on around there as what related to what your duties are going to be. That was cool. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, that was. Yeah. That, that so impressed me, um, and that was the first time ever in my life that that's happened. Because usually you don't yeah. have any guidance at all.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why so many people flame out <laughs> when they're new yep. hires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, guidance seems like the key word with him, too. Like, he guided you. You were new into this culture. Uh, you'd been oh, in a absolutely. different culture. And he told you the basics, things that somebody else yeah. might would know you didn't know and he saw it and he told you absolutely
0: so to recap some things that Beth said she said uh he said to her think of me as your safety net which is saying hey go go out and do but i'm not going to leave you on your own i'm here you know so being accessible that builds confidence he focused on the way she described it like he was her guide he was providing guidance when when she needed to do something differently, he told her. And uh, all of this influenced her level of confidence. And and it's another great example of someone who is really good at cultivating a sense of self in others. So as I have figured out this trait, this skill, I haven't figured out like I have it perfected, but figured it out how important it is for leaders to do this well. One of the things that's happened with me over time is I'm always and again, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm always thinking in conversations, can I can I help in this situation? Can I cultivate a positive sense of self in this conversation? Can I make things better by my contribution? Can I see something good in this person and express it either by my actions or just by listening well or by reminding them of something that they've done well? Is what I'm about to share going to help this person, hurt this person, or am I just saying something that'll make me look good? That's an interesting litmus test that I read in a book that I really like called, uh, the title of the book is Unleashed, Leader as Coach, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I love that thought process. If I'm about to say something, am I going to say this to help this person do I want to hurt this person or am I just trying to look good? And when you start thinking of the skill of cultivating a sense of self in others, you start realizing I'm not here to judge all the time. I can advocate for this person. I can be their advocate. I can see their potential, even if they don't. And, and when leaders make that flip, They become best leaders and and get out of the mindset of, I'm here to judge, I'm an expert, I got promoted, I know what's going on here, you don't, let me point it out to you what you don't know. Now, I know most leaders don't mean to do that, but many leaders do do that. They see themselves as the judge or critic, and they want to point out what's not working. And according to Gallup Research, that use all the time is not effective. And it's interesting with the Gallup research, they have a, a more more research that talks about, they actually give you a ratio of how many positives to every negative and the ratio that they talk about at work and they talk about their research in the book that I mentioned earlier, uh, First Break All the Rules and in some of their other books, but the ratio three to one, three positives for every course correction. And it really does make a difference. So you're thinking about if you're thinking with the mindset of, OK, my job as a leader is to cultivate a positive sense of self in others. What can I point out to this person that they're doing well? And what one thing can I point out that will make the most difference? And I often give the analogy for myself. I was initially learning how to play golf. I got a little frustrated. I need to go back to it. But when I was out on the driving range one day, some guy came up and he's, I was by myself just practicing hitting balls and he's, he was a good golfer and he started to point out to me everything that I was doing wrong. And so it wasn't a three to one ratio. It was like a, uh, none to ten ratio. So everything was about pick, move your elbows, put your hand here, do this, do that. And, I couldn't hit a ball for anything. And that's a good example. You know, what I did know how to do, all of a sudden I couldn't do because he was hammering on what I wasn't doing right. And so it wasn't a positive, helpful situation. He wasn't cultivating a positive sense of self for Susie when she's trying to learn to play golf. And that's, you know, kind of a personal example. But Think about that and think about how you're interacting with your folks and are you looking for anything that they're doing right and are you sharing it and is the ratio with your folks and you might, it's different with different people. Is it three to one and what can you do to make it become more three to one? So we're talking about seeing a person's potential and we're talking about projecting that potential to them through your actions through your words and through your thoughts how do you feel what do you think about this person and can you orient yourself to begin looking at people for their potential as opposed to a judge on how they're wrong so it talked about the definition of a sense of self it's a measure of a person's awareness of who they are And it's their ability for them to discern their own self-worth. So it really is an individual thing. So can you make somebody who's not confident and who's very unsure of themselves become a confident person all by your interaction with them? No, probably not. There's work that they need to do and it's their work solely. But when they're with you, can they start a new habit or begin a new view, could they, when they are with you, start believing in themselves a little more, and seeing themselves as a little bit more powerful, a little bit more effective, a little bit more able, that they do have potential, can you cultivate that just by them having worked with you, and I'd say yes, that's called influence, And it is my experience and my view that great leaders create that kind of influence. So you have to decide that that means something, positively influencing others, and that you want to be that kind of leader. So if you do want to be that leader, ask yourself, after every interaction, have I left this person after my interaction with with them in a stronger, more positive frame of mind? Have I strengthened them in some way by believing in them? Now, if this has not been your habit for a while and you've thought of yourself a little bit more as a judge, don't despair. It's okay. You can turn it around. It won't happen overnight because those are habits of thought. It is There are all kinds of things you can do to retrain how you look and think about people. And the first step is to begin looking at yourself as someone who cultivates a positive sense of self and others and that's the legacy that you leave lead or leave behind you as you leave the room or as you lead so i'm going to share with you another clip and it is with another person that i'm introducing now Phil Davis he's an executive at Flex HR i've known Phil for 10 years or more he's a great guy he always says what he's he always does what he says he's going to do and uh FlexHR is a cool company. They help human resource uh they bring human resource management to small to mid-sized companies. So they provide outsource uh HR consulting, leadership, and expertise. And Bill is interesting, he's had an interesting background, he was a former executive with companies like GE, PepsiCo, and he was the former chief human resource officer, a lazy boy. And he has an interesting perspective, and here's a clip from our conversation as we discuss finding your true north. And he brought up that so the, 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 the the word true north, and he says that's what he always focuses on, and it's where you're focusing on doing the greatest good. He talks about your role as a leader, as a sacred duty, and he even refers to Star Wars.
3: So let's listen to that. So how did you find your true north? Was it something that you grew up with or is it something that you found through having leaders like your first boss at GE or how did it, how did it get solidified for you? You always had it.
5: You know, I or? think, uh, you are who you are because of the experiences you've had. Right. So right. I started be, I started finding true north, um, you know, when I was very young, uh, and I'm sp- you know you know i like a like a magnetic compass I'm still not probably 100% but I'm pretty close and every every experience I've had helps me get to a close approximation and what I want to make sure that my true north here is you know what how do you find the win 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 how do you find the win for all the parties involved and how do you um, and that that includes the, the shareholders that includes the owners of the companies that includes the employees, uh, that includes your fellow supervisors and managers. So I, 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 and, and to some extent it includes yourself. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to do things that are right for you too. So true north is really, really wanting to do and really, really focusing on doing the things that, um, you know, do the greatest good, uh, without sacrificing fundamental, without having, uh, you know, the pagans on the altar being sacrificed. I mean, right. the, the good of the many cannot be had at the sacrifice of the few uh, unless it is truly a war situation. So fortunately, I yeah. haven't been in a war, but I recognize uh, that soldiers sometimes have to make those decisions, and, and have right. to. But in, in industry, we have the luxury. Most of the time, it's not life and death. So... It's really looking at things from that broader perspective um what's ethical yeah. um what's moral um what benefits the most people uh mm-hmm. and you you have to develop that sense and the, the, that judgment over time. It is so you know i don't know whether you're a, a star wars uh fan or not, but uh the dark side is very seductive and in the short run gives you great power uh but ultimately leads to your destruction so um, I've seen a lot of corporate executives go to the dark side in one form or another. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really hard to stay, you know, with the force and not get uh, not get off into the dark side.
3: Get pulled into the power, or the fact that they do every decision has big impact, kind of like enjoy that as opposed to being in awe of it and saying, okay, I have... Even more responsibility now, so the dark side is when you forget that. <laughs>
5: yeah, it's, you know, view it as a sacred duty, uh, not, a, not a Ferrari and a toy, you know.
3: Yeah, oh, there we go. I love that analogy, a sacred duty, not a Ferrari or a toy. That is perfect.
0: So, building your ability to cultivate a positive sense of self and others is a powerful skill in our CALL, C-A-L-L acronym. Now, let's go to the next skill. It begins with the letter A, and it is address problems quickly, focus on behaviors and facts. Now, this is the ability to quickly, specifically, and factually discuss problems and issues with performance. So, oftentimes, what I see, and I have done it too, Prior to learning some of this, and I still don't always have it perfect, because as you remember I said earlier, we're always perfecting these skills and growing them and becoming stronger in them. But oftentimes, we put off having a discussion or addressing a problem because we're not sure how to handle it. Maybe we want to avoid the potential conflict. Maybe we're not sure if it's a valued employee, and we don't want to dampen their motivation, but we need to address a problem or a habit that they have that's not working. We're not sure how to do it. So we hold off or we don't address it. So the skill is address problems quickly. Now, the other part is sometimes we do address. Some leaders will be very quick at addressing problems, but they do it in anger or they're very subjective and they're blaming or they're too blunt. So then it, it hurts the relationship and hurts future performance. Either approach will place you in the worst boss category if you do it a lot and don't have this figured out. But it is definitely a skill you can learn. And and the skill, again, is address problems quickly. Focus on behaviors and facts. So we're looking for quick and we're looking for facts. So when I got better at this and am still getting better at this is what we teach in training classes is this idea of get to the behavioral aspect as opposed to the attitude part of it. So if you are in, if somebody has a quote unquote bad attitude and you say that or you address that, well, you're sharing something that is subjective. It's not factual and you're not going to have much progress being made during the discussion. So the difference is when we're talking about, behaviors and facts, we're talking about something that's very specific, we're objective, and it's much more rational. So because we're talking about a problem, nobody loves talking about problems, but we do it in that factual, rational, objective manner, it creates more openness in the discussion because now we're talking about facts. And behaviors are always something you can see or something you can hear. So if you address behaviors by focusing on facts, then you're going to make more progress. So just to recap, we're going to focus on behaviors. These are things we can hear and see. They're, they're specific. It's objective. It's rational. It's going to lend itself to more openness in a discussion when you're talking about problems, and you're going to make more progress. But if you do the opposite, which lands people in the worst boss category, you focus on attitude. That means you, you say an opinion on something your general is subjective it turns emotional it's going to create defensiveness and you're going to have more arguments than you're going to have progress and basically this is when you're when you share something that you think someone is feeling or thinking as opposed to things you see things you hear so i'll never forget and when I talk about one of my best bosses, his name was is Tony, and he demonstrated this skill so so well in so many ways. But one in particular I remember was there were six of us, and we were all individually going to him and complaining about our administrative assistant. And we didn't know it, but she was complaining to him about us and things we were doing. So Tony called a meeting. We didn't know what the meeting was about. He sits all six of us down and our administrator, and... And he began to share what he had heard each of us say. Not point us out, but he sure shared what he had seen because he had seen some of the behaviors and what he had heard from each of us. And so we were a little, we were enjoying complaining to him. (laughs) We didn't want to really sit down and try to solve it, but he addressed the problem quickly and he focused on facts and behaviors. And guess what? The problem got solved. So we're sitting in that meeting. He shares what he's seen and heard. He started asking questions of us to get us talking. And before you know it, he had us discussing and creating our own solutions. And the keys that got it started were he didn't let this thing fester. He addressed the problem quickly and he shared exactly what he had seen and heard. And we created solutions and everything got better. And he just continued to monitor it. And so this is a key leadership skill, and it's going to help you do the number one leadership skill that we already talked about, the cultivate a positive sense of self and others really well, because when you're addressing performance issues or work habit problems, you're being factual and you're basing it on discussions that you've seen and heard. And it's going to help you make a lot of progress around performance discussions, because you'll be able to have a constructive dialogue. You really, really want to hone this skill. And you want to be able to address the problems quickly and effectively. So there are materials that I teach on my website that will uh, share with you information about classes that show you how to build this skill. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to make an offer for a free audio class that I offer that goes into more detail about a specific formula. Again, it's another acronym, but it helps you hold the pro. It's exactly what Tony did in the meeting that he had with us, and it is something you could do with a group. It's something you can do when two people or other people are in conflict and you're trying to facilitate that. It is something you can do one-on-one. So I'm going to offer that free audio class to you at the end, if you listen through and it's something I'm going to ask you to help me with. So um, you can also find the link to this free offer if you go to our show notes, which is pricelessprofessional.com slash four skills. Now, let's go to the third skill. We've talked about cultivate a positive sense of self and others. We've talked about uh, address problems quickly, but by focusing on facts and behaviors. Third skill starts with the L. Lead by inviting participation and input. This is the ability to improve connection, personal rapport, and commitment by inviting participation and an exchange of information and opinions. So if you go back and look at the Gallup survey of 12 statements, and it's in the section where employees are thinking and their mindset is at that time, do I belong here? Statement number seven is, do my opinions count? Do my opinions count? And this is a key aspect that people are feeling when they're committed, that they get to share their opinions. Now let's hear from Beth Zulo again about her best boss and how He did this
3: so well. So earlier on, you said you were listing off things that you liked about him, and he said if we did something wrong, he would let you know. Talk a little bit about that because a lot of people who are leaders struggle with how much do I say, how do I say it. Talk a little bit about if something went wrong for you or someone else, how he handled it and and how you felt. And
2: and that's a good question because I don't know that wrong was the right word. Um, Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, um, Probably um, there are a couple on two instances. One was if I brought him a project and I told him something graphical, maybe we had to create a logo or whatever. And that was fun for me. Um, He goes, oh, come on, Beth, you can do better than that. So that pushed me a little bit. Um, But as far as um, in a negative sense, um, I'm trying to think he would really, he wouldn't really, um, he wouldn't reprimand you. He would learn, he would treat it like it was a, as Disney would call it, a su- successful failure. Uh, uh-huh. And we learn from it, and we move on. No big deal.
3: So there was no, we would make a big deal out of this, or let me tell you how it's done. It was more of, okay, this is how we talk about it kind yeah. of thing.
2: Yes, yeah. never. Never would he say, this is how it's done. He was all open. Yeah. If you see a way to fix something that we're doing if, to be more efficient, please, let's hear about it. Yeah. No, he, he was never my way or the highway, ever.
3: Yeah, yeah. So what did that do to you having somebody who was not the my way? I mean, what did it do to your engagement and how you felt about the work?
2: Well, before I get to the engagement and feelings about the work, it made it difficult to move on to anywhere else. I'll tell you that. Ah, um, yeah. Um, it, it has made it really difficult to be in that that setting within an office setting because of his leadership style. That's my problem. That's something I need to adapt to and figure right. out. I know that. Um, but right. as far as the engaging, he always kept us engaged, everyone. Um, he, he always had his few go-to people. He felt that um, there were a couple of us in there that would just get it done. Now, he said that wasn't fair. Yeah. He knew. He said um, He said delegation could be dumping sometimes. And he said he had to be aware of that. And he was, um, but he kept us engaged. He he was always working on something. I had a list of projects and he was always working on something. And that was engaging to me. I, I'm not just a three project person. I like things. And he knew that and he learned that. And I always
0: told him, and I loved that work. I absolutely loved working with him. I loved what I did. So in that clip, can you hear how much Beth liked working for this guy? She said he kept us engaged. He was so good, it made it hard for me to move on. And she said he was open, and he never, ever said or implied, my way or the highway. Now that is the power of inviting participation. Getting others involved, asking their view, their opinions, it's the ability to communicate in such a way that people believe you have their back and that if you make a mistake, as Beth's best boss shared, it's a successful failure. So I know I've been saying how important each one of these skills are, but this one is just as important as the other two and it's very, very powerful. And many leaders hesitate to embrace it. Mistakenly thinking, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I'm the leader. I know more. I see more. They promoted me. I have the best experience and I'm in charge. And some leaders worry, am I getting my power away? Am I not being the leader they hired me to be by asking their opinions? But here's the funny thing about this skill. The reverse is true. The reverse is true. I lead by inviting participation and input. You become a a better leader, a bigger leader, a more effective leader. And there's a power formula that is connected to that. And I'm going to say the formula out loud to you. And you'll also see it in the show notes. But it's ED equals RD multiplied by CD. So let me tell you what those stand for. ED, effective decisions. So that's what we want, right? Effective decisions equal... The right decision, so we got to figure out the right thing to do, and that's multiplied by a part that sometimes people forget, leaders and organizations' commitment to the decisions. ED equals RD times CD. So you can make the right decision, but if you don't have commitment to the decision by the people, it's not going to be an effective decision. I mean, how many times have you seen the right decision being made in a meeting, but there's no commitment to it, so it fails? Is not an effective decision. Nobody buys in. So it's the right plan or it's the right idea, but nobody's committed to it. Nobody's had any say. Their opinions have not been taken into account. And all at the end of the day, all that work goes nowhere fast because people didn't have a part in it. And at the same time, how many times have you seen wrong decisions? So there's not even a right decision, but it's because they didn't get input. They didn't involve the people in the data and information gathering process. And you think about earlier on when Kelly Vandiver shared that her boss said, this conversation is over. That was her worst boss. She felt like, and it was rightly so, her boss was saying, your input doesn't count. This is over. I don't want to hear it. And so Kelly, who is absolutely one of the most bright and shiny people I know, who is so effective at everything she does and gives a thousand percent, I can guarantee you, based upon what I know about her, that she still worked hard. And I, because she still worked hard and because she's so smart, she probably had a ton of relevant information to share that would have helped her boss make better decisions, but She didn't overgive to her boss after that exchange. And she said the rest of the team didn't either. Because basically they were told in uh, different ways, especially in that one conversation Kelly had, is your opinions don't count. And so they all did what they had to do to keep their job, but not anything more than that. And in Kelly's clip, she even said, I wanted to be heard. Well, that's the voice of every one of your employees. Your employees want and need to be heard. So being able to participate in and be involved in discussions around things that are going on in the office or changes that are going to be made is going to create, meet that need of wanting to be heard, that my opinions count, and there's going to be more commitment to decisions that are made. And you're going to have more effective decisions. It's a power formula. And sometimes we think, oh, if I get everybody's opinion, I'm not going to be able to do everything they want. So I don't really want to ask. Because they don't always have the full picture. And so if I ask, do I have to do what they say? And one of my best leaders, a very wise person that I respect so much, always said, I may not obey, but I can definitely listen. So you may not do what they tell you they need or want you to do, but you can always listen. That is free and it is powerful. And so that's one thing that you need to keep in mind as a leader. Am I listening? Am I inviting participation? And just remember, you don't have to obey just because you've asked their opinion. You're not going to do everything that gets asked of you. But if you don't know what they're thinking and you haven't asked their opinion, there's no way you're going to get the rd and the cd the right decision and commitment to the decisions for the ed the effective decisions and you know there's a balance there's times when you when you might need to be tightly controlled i mean there are times when you're going to say this is the way it is and in, in regulatory organizations oftentimes there's a, a lot of that where you have regulations and rules and processes and there are going to be times when you're a democracy. Okay, what kind of pizza do we want? What kind of party do we want? You could take a vote and ask what everybody what they think. But you've got to figure out how to do that in such a way that you're not doing too much of the autocratic, it's my way or the highway, or too much of the democratic, okay, let's take a vote, so that you're being the leader that you are being paid to be that you have the experience and knowledge to be, but you also find a way to invite participation and invite input so you can make the good decisions and make a final decision that's still yours to make oftentimes. So inviting input is something that I've heard described as creating a pool of shared understanding. So if you think of Everybody, you think of everybody standing around a pool and they're sharing their information and you're pulling it all together and there's a big bucket and it's the shared understanding of what's going on. It's very well described and probably better than I just described it in a book called Crucial Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. And they talk about, and that's where I first heard about, creating a pool of shared understanding. Now, I want to mention that you could get that book, Right now, if that's something, if this is a skill you're wanting to build this inviting or lead by inviting participation, the crucial conversations would be an excellent book to read. You'll be inspired by it. Everyone who's read it says they are. And I have a free offer. You can get the book by for free by audible.com. audible.com is supporting podcasts. And they are giving to Priceless Professional clients and Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast listeners a free audio download with a 30-day trial. So you can get that information by going to PricelessProfessional.com slash Audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, and that's all lowercase. So go to PricelessProfessional.com slash Audible and click on the link there. It'll take you a place that will give you the free book and along with a 30-day trial. And I do receive a small financial thank you from Audible for mentioning this because they are making this offer. But it, and so it does help support the podcast. So if you decide to do it and decide to use my link, thank you. And um, I'm glad you can get a free book and tell me what you think about this book, Crucial Conversations. It's awesome. It's a great, great book. It will really inspire you to want to do these. And they tie perfectly with our four skills And especially this one lead by inviting participation. So the important part about what they talk about in that book and what we're, why we're saying this is an important skill is because when people share their input, you can take that input and mold it and use it to make the right decision. And you haven't shut people down because you hadn't said, Hey, I don't want to hear what you have to say, but you haven't actually, um, you are then actually encouraging, hey, give me information so that I can make the best decision. So it's a very mature thing for for a leader to do is to not shut people down and and not have everybody vote. You know, not doing either one of those, but it is uh, getting people involved. So it's a key skill. So some actions that you could take that will get people involved, some simple things, and I'll just mention them here in case they're not top of mind to you right now. You can share information with team members share share what's going on it sounds simple but it's not always easy if you're really busy but take time to share what's going on give team members recognition in the gallup survey it says in the last seven days have i received recognition for my work delegation huge it's a great way to involve people so you share with what's expected and you get employees room to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and you get them involved by delegating get up level their skills And it invites participation, get team members involved in decision making, ask team members for an idea about a problem, and you just ask people for help. You know, saying things like, hey, Jim, I could use your help with this. Can you help me out? And just asking for help. Most people want to help. So invite people to participate. Invite their participation and input. Now let's look at the last skill, listening aggressively. And this is popular. Anytime this is brought up in class or in any kind of situation, people like it when you start talking about it and are passionate about the impact that listening aggressively has had on their own life. So what is listening aggressively? It is to hear with determination and energetic pursuit, demonstrating a desire to understand. I'm going to repeat that. Listening aggressively is to hear with determination and energetic pursuit, It's demonstrating a desire to understand. What do you think of that definition? Does the definition give you an idea that this is not passive, that you're not just sitting there, um, ho-hum, I'm just listening, I'm not doing anything? If you're being a great leader, you're listening aggressively, you're really tuning in, and you're being present with someone, and you demonstrate that um, by showing that you want to understand and I've got another clip. This is Beth Zulow talking about her best boss, and she talks about how he was a great listener. Let's listen to that now.
3: And tell me about listening. That is something that, um, I, as I go along in my own life, personally and professionally, just the power of listening and the many layers of that. It sounds like kind of a boring topic, but it isn't because it sounds like it's everything and I, it seems to be everything as I go along. Tell me about his ability to listen and the impact it had on you and the team. Um, talk, talk a little bit more about that.
2: Okay. Um, well, I know um, he came from the K-12 through environment too. Um, he taught middle school and he went into the administration role in HR. And he came through that environment up to higher ed. So that was new to him. Um, he was there a few years before I even got to Chattahoochee. So, But as far as listening, he, um, he really took the time to listen. If you were just someone walking by and his door was open, hey, Randy, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, come on in. He'd stop what he was doing. And he would, um, I know he, I think, I don't know if he. Experience an active listening course, or if he just knew so much about it. Um, I'm pretty sure he probably had something to do with it, but he listened, but not only did he listen, he would repeat it back to you, sum it up like you're doing very nicely. And he would do the same. And then that made a person feel good. Wow. He, not only did he just, you know, listen, he heard me. He heard me, my feelings are important, and he might not any- do anything with it. I mean, there might not be anything he could do, but each employee walked out of his office felt like they were listened to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yeah. and then he he would say, well, you know, in some cases, well, what would you like me to do? Um, he would clarify, uh, yeah. is this, are, are you just venting, yeah. or is there something I need to do?
3: Ah, uh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that uh, what you're sound, expressing to me and, um, is maybe just because this has been on my mind a lot lately, but it does sound like it. It's that being present with people and presence and the power of that, that is really like, oh, I yes. don't need to fix it, but I can just be present. And that yes. is a gift. It is. It, it gift, really is. It sounds like it really was with him, too. And you know what? He would remember it
2: also. Um, he mm-hmm. had a memory. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he would remember things that I'm kind of like the type of person forgive, forget, um, move on to the <laughs> next project. Um, what did you yes. do with this last year? Um, wait a minute, let me look at my notes. Um, he remembered everything. Uh, and then, me- you know, with that person that coming into his office that expressed something, he, he, next time he saw that person, he would say, Hey, how's this going? Or how are you? Or not maybe specific the example or talk about the specifics but he may mention it may not but he remembered
0: and one of my favorite quotes I mention it a lot I think about it a lot is Thoreau he said the greatest compliment that was ever paid to me was one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer it's a gift the greatest compliment that was ever paid to me was one asked me what I thought and attended to my answer How often has that happened for you? And how often are you doing that for other people? I want you to think about all the people you've known who have influenced you positively. It could have been leaders, just could have been parents, could have been teachers, anybody who's influenced you positively. And think about, out of those people, how many of them were good listeners? Great listeners. And then think about, The impact their listening had on you. I can remember being in college and an ex-boyfriend's mother was a great listener for me. And the power that that had for me, that she tuned into what I said and asked questions, she just had a way about her. She sounds like Beth's best boss. And I always, it just it helped me so much to have somebody really listen to me and dissect what I was feeling and thinking and not give me advice very quickly until I had asked for the advice. Um, very, very powerful. And I imagine, I know there are other people in my life that I list in that category of a great listener. Um, and I'm hoping that you've had great listeners like that because it it does, it builds confidence. It, it helps you think more clearly. So When you have great listeners like that, there's things that they do. They look at you. They lean forward. They ask questions. They're not interrupting. They're not telling you what you need to do. They're not doing 5,000 other things while they're talking to you. They're tuned into you. They are present to you, and it is certainly a gift. So it's it's different from saying, hey, I heard you, and I can repeat every word you said, While you're typing on the computer or looking at your iPhone, that's different than when you put everything aside and listen aggressively. There's another bestseller book that I'll mention here, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read that in a while or you haven't read it ever You definitely want to put that on your reading list. You can also get it at Audible, free book with a 30-day trial, free download, PricelessProfessional.com slash Audible. I mean, it's a book that I think I have listened to eh, 10 times. Every time I get something out of it, he shares seven habits. And one of the habits of highly effective people is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so you're seeking to understand by listening aggressively. And so when you understand where people are coming from, even if you disagree with what they're saying, once they feel like they have been heard and understood, you have a likelihood of influencing them or sharing your viewpoint in a way that's effective or helpful. So it means that you're focused on hearing in a determined and energetic way. And if you're doing it well, you're asking questions and you're listening with no other agenda than to understand. There's no other agenda. I'm not trying to debate with you. I'm not going to convince you. I'm not going to win you to my other to my side. Now, that may happen. But right now, when I'm with you, I'm just listening. And I have no other agenda in this moment other than, than to understand. Beth Zulo talked about her boss and she said about his listening. It made a person feel good. You'd leave his office. I don't know if this is exactly how she said it. But you'd leave his office and you'd think, wow, he heard me. So there's so many people who are not good at listening aggressively, and I know I'm not perfect at it all the time, but it is also, along with the other skills, something I focus on and I want to be really good at. And I'm better and better than I ever have been in the years past. It's what a good consultant and a coach does. It's what a good aunt does. It's what a good friend does. It's what a good leader does. It's listening and expressing support. It's asking questions to get more information. It's having an open mind, even if you disagree. And even if they're being defensive, being able to listen and question so that you understand, so that you truly understand, and you summarize what they're saying just to confirm that you understand. It's a key skill. It's a key skill in business, and it's a key skill personally. So, I'd like to challenge you to focus more here. If you to begin listening aggressively, you're going to find if you do more and more of it, the people are responding differently to you. You're going to have richer conversations, and actually, over time, shorter conversations because you're going to know where your people are coming from, and because you're gonna, you feel like they feel like you're really listening to them they will get to their questions and answers more quickly. So there's a tool that I teach and it is a four, it's an acronym, go figure, me and my acronyms, right? It's RPSA. And those are the four steps. If you're listening aggressively, it's reflect, probe, support, advise, reflect, probe, support, and advise. Those are the four steps. And I've written a complete article on this. Uh, it's a And it's got an audio example, and it goes into a personal situation that I had where somebody was really good at this, and I'd never actually seen it before, and it walks through the RPSA steps. So you can find that article at pricelessprofessional.com slash listening skills. And listening skills is all one word in lowercase. So find that article, and you can go kind of more into what is RPSA, how do you do it, and that uh, hopefully will help you build that skill set. Um I also have another Uh article that is around Uh improving listening skills, uh, and it points out Uh negative listening habits. And so Uh that article is interesting because Uh there are six listening habits, things like happy hooker, there's some funny names on Uh them, but it's it's a little quiz where you can rate yourself. Uh Do I do that? And you can find Uh it at Uh pricelessprofessional.com slash negative listening, and that's all lowercase, Uh all one word negative listening. We've covered four skills that are really important to effective leadership and to important to helping you become the best boss and we've looked at 12 statements through the Gallup research that these four skills help you do better those statements and I provided you some tools and resources access to books and articles that will help you drill down on this skill set more completely. There'll also be future podcasts about these different skills so, and in the next podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Beth's best boss, Beth Zulow from Georgia Gwinnett College, talks about her best boss, Dr. Randy Reese. He was formerly, formerly the VP of HR and, uh, and Human Professional Development at Chattahoochee Technical College. Could not get that out. And uh, I'm going to be talking to him on the next podcast about these four skills, and we're going to learn more about how Randy use those skills. How did they develop? How did he develop them in his own career? What experiences? And so that'll be our next podcast. It'll be episode number 14. And you can find all the episodes for this podcast at wakeupeagerworkforce.com, wakeupeagerworkforce.com. So I have training and coaching classes that focus on these skills You can find a list of my different leadership and team building and communication skills and training at pricelessprofessional.com slash leadership training, all one word, lowercase. You'll see all that in the show notes. And if you have questions or you'd like a complimentary consultation just to talk about, hey, this is the skills I'm trying to work on or help within my organization. I have train-the-trainer courses. I have things that I teach. You can reach me directly at pricelessprofessional.com slash Suzie, S-U-Z-I-E. You'll see my contact information there. There's my phone number and all that. You can reach me. I really want to thank Beth Zulo and wish her well as she moves on her role on from her role at GGC and goes back into teaching where she's going to be helping middle schoolers. I appreciate Beth. Thank you for it. was so great to work with you at Georgia Gwinnett College and just wishing you lots of success. And just thanks for taking time to share with me your information about Dr. Randy Reese. And I'm excited about the podcast we're going to have with him the next time. If you, are, if you need help with a presentation or you want to do a better job of giving your people permission to speak, you want to contact Kelly Vandiver. I thank her for being on this podcast today and taking time to share her best and worst boss experiences. She's at Speaking Practically. Her website is www.speakingpractically.com and you'll see all her contact information in the show notes. And I also want to thank Phil Davis of FlexHR, the outsourced HR compensation strategy and business alignment organization. And Phil is an interim head of HR and a consultant. He can be found at FlexHR.com. Both are on social media and LinkedIn. And I'm going to have their contact information in the show notes. Uh, Again, the show notes are PricelessProfessional.com slash 4Skills. All one word. Now, I said that I had a free a uh, bit of information to give you. I'm going to give you one of my free classes. It's an audio course that goes over the four skills in more detail. It gives you a workbook and it also gives you four steps that are in addition to the four skills around how to have a conversation with people, with people when there are problems. It includes a 15-minute role play with me that you can do that's optional, and it also includes some quizzes and uh, a six-week kind of you-can-go-at-your-own-pace program. So I'm going to give that to you free if you will do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast if you're listening to it. And leave a review on iTunes. So if you subscribe and you leave a review, that means more people will find this podcast. And so people who are looking for what we're talking about, I want them to be able to find us. So if you go to the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com slash 4skills. Or you go to com. Either place, you'll see a place that says subscribe. And if you hit that to iTunes or on Stitcher. If you click those links and those visuals, it'll take you right to either iTunes or Stitcher if you're on Android, and it'll give you a place where you can give us a review and um, subscribe so you can be notified when new episodes are coming. So that's it for today. I hope that the four skills information is helpful to you. If it is, great. Let me know about it and then forward this to someone else. Let someone else know about this, too. So we'll see you next time, uh, 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 podcast episode number 14. And uh, keep going out there and being a strong leader. And I look forward to the next time we connect. All the best.